Happy Saturday. Jason Whitlock here filling in for Uncle Jimmy once again. Uncle Jimmy's recovering. He's doing better. He's going to return to the show soon. Keep him in your thoughts and prayers. Even without Uncle Jimmy, we continue to have a great string of shows. Uh, It started on Monday when a Sports Illustrated story about a Nike executive, Larry Miller, who confessed to murder on the pages of Sports Illustrated, I thought the story was sloppy and left a lot of unanswered questions. Sports Illustrated did some cover story this week about a Nike executive, Larry Miller, who copped to murder. Sports Illustrated has a cover story about the chairman of Jordan brand, 72-year-old Larry Miller, who on the pages of Sports Illustrated confesses to a murder that he did 56 years ago as a 16-year-old. He says that no one knew about this for 56 years, and now he has uh, decided to tell Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated during a 90-minute interview uh, about this murder from 56 years ago. And I found this story fascinating. Again, those of you that know, like Portland is home base uh, for Nike, and John Cassano uh, knows Larry Miller, writes about Nike. Larry Miller one time was the president of the Portland Trailblazers. He's worked for Nike two different times. In between that, he was the president of the Portland Trailblazers. This is a fascinating story that no one's really talking about, but we're going to talk about it because we're part of the fearless army. We go where other shows and where other people in the media dare not go. And I just found this story fascinating. I think this came out on Thursday or Friday of last week, but it kind of flew under the radar. I read about it this weekend and on Sunday night and Monday morning, I spent the better part of the day like trying to figure out who is Larry Miller, why is he on the pages of Sports Illustrated confessing to murder that he did in six, uh, at the age of 16, 56 years ago, and why is Sports Illustrated have him on the cover uh, in a celebratory fashion? The story is written very sympathetically towards Larry Miller and his confession of killing, uh, I believe, an 18-year-old who had no criminal record, who had no run-ins or involvement with the police. This all happened in 1965. Larry Miller on the page of Sports Illustrated says he basically killed the kid out of revenge because Larry Miller had joined a gang at the age of 13 and by the age of 16 was a full-blown gang-banging thug. This is his own description, this isn't me. And they wanted to take retribution for someone in their gang getting hurt or killed. And Larry Miller says they killed this Edward White, even though they had no idea if he was involved in the gang, if he had anything to do with killing or hurting, harming their friend. It was just a random act of violence he did as a 16-year-old gang member. Sports Illustrated wrote the story so vaguely that in reading the story, it was like unclear, like, did this man ever go to prison for real, for real, for killing someone? And then I started hunting down, trying to find stuff written in the Philadelphia newspapers about this or or just anywhere on the internet, and I stumbled across uh, Larry Miller's Wikipedia page, and on the Wikipedia page at the time that I read it Monday morning, it alleged that Larry Miller never went to prison for killing Edward White. And, and I'm, it didn't jive with what was insinuated in this Sports Illustrated story. And so Sports Illustrated, in their story, and their retelling of their 90-minute interview with Larry Miller, they never directly said, like, he did this murder and he was sentenced to X number of years for this murder. They insinuate that he went to prison, but it just isn't written clearly. And being a former journalist, having written a lot of sensitive stories, 
I was like, this just set off alarm bells. Like, why aren't they being direct about this? Why aren't there details? They say that he was in prison from age 16 to 30, uh, but, but they never explain why, other than they make you believe it was all about this murder of Edward White, but, but they lead you that direction, but they never spell it out clearly. And so Monday morning, I'm doing snooping around, trying to get to the bottom of this. Why was the man in and out of prison from age 16 to 30, or either juvenile or prison? And, and that ended up leading me to John Cassano uh, of the Portland Oregonian, because I, I saw his story that where he had similar questions to me reading the Sports Illustrated version of Larry Miller's life. He, he had to say, like, at one point, there's a passage in the article, I want to read it verbatim, where Sports Illustrated writes that, uh, that one of the reasons Miller's confessing this to Sports Illustrated, discussing it proved therapeutic. The nightmares and migraines started to fade and then ceased altogether as the writing process unfolded. And they're, they're, Sports Illustrated at that point is writing about Larry Miller and his oldest daughter are writing a book about his life and this murder is part of the book. And so at this point I'm like, well, they're writing a book because they're trying to get a movie deal and this is going to be some kind of updated gangster version of The Pursuit of Happiness. Anybody ever see the movie Will Smith did, The Pursuit of Happiness? It's a great book about some Northern California executive that basically raised his son all by himself and went through all these uh, different obstacles in raising his son and trying to start a career and eventually became a millionaire. Uh, the Pursuit of Happiness is one of the best books I've ever read. It's one of the best movies I ever saw. And I'm reading this Sports Illustrated thing and, and hearing Larry Miller's writing a book with his daughter, I'm like, oh, they're hyping a movie. And this is gonna be the hip hop gangster version of Pursuit of Happiness. This is gonna be the, the Godfather meets the Pursuit of Happiness, I, I guess. But here, here was the key sentence, the next sentence, they, I'm gonna reread the whole thing in contest. Discussing it, proved therapeutic. The nightmares and migraines started to fade and then ceased altogether as the, the writing process unfolded. He says he is planning to reach out to White's family as well. And I'm like, this man is confessing a murder to Sports Illustrated. They're writing about it as if this is some great act of humanity or humanitarian act that he's, he's writing his wrongs from the past. And then I see this sentence go, he hasn't talked to Edward White's family. He's writing a book, he's doing Sports Illustrated interviews, he's putting all this out there, and at no time has he given any thought to Edward White's family. They buried an 18-year-old for no reason 56 years ago. And so it just seemed like the first step in any cathartic process would be, let me make amends to the people that I hurt. Larry Miller has gone on to become a wildly successful executive. Surely the guy, chairman of Jordan brand, that probably means he's worth a minimum, a minimum of $25 million, probably worth $50 million. Who, who knows? You're the chairman of Jordan brand at Nike. You gotta be worth a ton of money. So he kills Edward White, goes to prison, uh, gets educated at Temple University while in prison, uh, gets out, and they tell a story about how he interviewed for one job and t was honest with the person about his criminal past and they didn't give him a job. And then from then on, he concealed it, never told anybody, Adam Silver, Michael Jordan, Phil Knight, who runs Nike. None of these people know anything about his criminal past, according to this retelling in Sports Illustrated. Uh, and when he decides to confess, no mention of it, 
to Edward White's family. They can read it in Sports Illustrated just like everybody else. That was one of my first major red flags. There were many red flags in this story, particularly the way they unpacked and alluded to his jail sentence. But come to find out, uh, Larry Miller did four and a half years for killing Edward White. He got out of prison or juvenile. And guess what? This is not mentioned in the Sports Illustrated story. But it is mentioned in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania versus Larry Miller. Larry Miller kidnapped someone and was convicted of kidnapping. That violated his parole. He went back to prison, I believe, in 1976. And that's why he spent from age 16 to age 30 basically incarcerated. He kidnapped someone. This isn't anywhere in the Sports Illustrated story. Nowhere to be found. Sports, this is an alleged, used to be, major media outlet. They can't even find out why the guy was in prison for so long. They just took his word for, for it based off of what they were able to glean from a 90-minute interview. When you're sitting in front of someone, anyone with a criminal history or no criminal history, they'll tell you their side of the story. As a journalist, you go check it out and find additional details. In journalism, they say, if your mother says she loves you, get a second opinion. It would have been nice to know in this glowing Sports Illustrated article that Larry Miller also was convicted of kidnapping and that's why he went back to prison. That's not confessed in this glowing Sports Illustrated piece. And so uh, John Cassano helped me figure this out this morning and that's why we're bringing John on because he's the actual expert, but I, I, or more expert than I am anyway on this topic, but I, I've just scratched the surface of where I want to go with this conversation because there's a certain group of people that uh, are offered all kinds of forgiveness and I guess Larry Miller is in that group where he gets forgiveness and he gets celebrated on the cover of Sports Illustrated despite confessing a murder, despite being involved in a kidnapping. Larry Miller's sins are all forgiven and this is a story about uh, someone overcoming a difficult past and becoming an executive and I'm sure the book and movie deals are just flying in right now. Others don't get that. And we'll get into that. You know, Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court Justice, he would love to be Larry Miller. Brett Kavanaugh played grab ass with a girl uh, as a teenager. And people want him eliminated from the planet played grab ass with a girl as a teenager. She thought, she believed he wanted to rape her. He did not, she never said he raped her. They had a, he said, she said about a sexual encounter. We want him eliminated from the planet. Larry Miller, murder and kidnapping, Cover Sports Illustrated. Very interesting. All right, so that Larry Miller conversation on Monday led me to go in deep on Nike founder Phil Knight, and I compare him, I analogize him to both Don Corleone from The Godfather and Walt Disney, the real-life Walt Disney. Nike founder Phil Knight He's the modern-day Don Corleone, the mafia kingpin portrayed in the iconic Godfather movies. For writing this, I half expect to find a horse's head lying beneath the covers of my bed. Or maybe Phil Knight will dispatch one of his soldiers to make me an offer I can't refuse. Perhaps it will be Larry Miller, the chairman of Jordan Brand, 
the Phil Knight soldier profiled on the cover of the latest Sports Illustrated. In a glowing 2,800 word stenography slash hagography written by Howard Beck, Miller confesses to murdering an 18-year-old black boy in 1965 while a member of the Philadelphia street gang. The profile contends Miller is confessing to the murder. This is his second confession. He confessed to the police a day after the murder. But he it contends he's confessing the murder on the pages of Sports Illustrated because he and his daughter are writing a memoir of his life and he was afraid the details of the crime would leak. This is why I analogize Phil Knight to Vito Corleone, the Don of Dons. If you remember in Godfather 1, Don Corleone uses his friends in the media to write a friendly narrative about his son Michael murdering a dirty New York cop. Only Knight and Nike have the power to get Sports Illustrated to write a puff piece about an executive who rose to power while concealing the fact that from age 13 to 30, he was a violent and routinely incarcerated member of a street gang. The story contends that Miller worked alongside Knight, Michael Jordan, and NBA commissioners David Stern and Adam Silver for nearly three decades without their knowledge of his criminal past. In addition to his high-level roles at Nike, Miller was the president of the Portland Trailblazers from 2007 until 2012. At the age of 16, Miller confessed to the second-degree murder of Edward White, a man Miller killed for no reason. White had no criminal history and was not involved in gang activity. Listen to this quote from Larry Miller. That's what makes it even more difficult for me because it was for no reason at all, Miller told Beck during a 90-minute interview. I mean, there was no valid reason for this to happen. And that's the thing that I really struggle with. And that's, you know, it's the thing that I think about every day. It's like, I did this and to someone who, it was, it was no reason to do it. And that's the part that really bothers me. If you read the Sports Illustrated profile, it's laced with sympathy for Miller, not White. Adam Silver's reaction to learning Miller murdered an innocent man 56 years ago is breathtaking. Listen to what Adam Silver told Sports Illustrated. I then went from stunned to amazed that Larry had managed his long and very successful professional career, operating at the highest levels in our industry with this secret firmly intact and was ultimately left with a feeling of sadness that Larry had carried this burden all these years without the support of his many friends and colleagues. My God, I just, I just tear up thinking about this burden that Larry carried. How powerful is Phil Knight? The commissioner of a major sports league is filled with sadness for the perpetrator of a murder, not the victim. Sports Illustrated published a 2,800-word story that never provided a single detail about Miller's other crimes. Miller only did four years for the murder of Edward White. 11 years after the murder, Miller filed a petition to set aside his guilty plea on the basis of ineffective legal counsel. According to court documents, Miller filed that petition while in prison for a conviction on a kidnapping charge. Did you, did you catch that? I'll go back. I, I, I want to make sure they catch that. According to court documents, Miller filed that petition while in prison for a conviction on a kidnapping charge. Sports Illustrated published none of this information. You can read it for yourself at casetext.com. 
Beck also never mentioned charges of burglary, theft, and weapons, which are all publicly available at, <laughs> what is it, paccourts.pacourts.us? You can find it on Google, on the internet, it ain't hard. Here's what Beck made a point to mention and emphasize. This is a direct quote from the story. I'm not, I promise you, I'm not making this up. Since Miller returned to Jordan brand in 2012, the company has expanded its roster of female athletes, launched the Jordan women's line, and increased its presence in college and sports outside basketball. He also has overseen the development of Jordan Brand's social impact platform known as Wings. Now, I just wanna be clear. I'm not interested in denigrating Larry Miller. The courts punished him for his crimes. He does not appear to require additional punishment. My concern is what his life's, what does his life say about modern America, corporate media, and Nike's power. Miller's story of redemption is being framed inaccurately. Corporate media is obsessed with telling stories focused on alleged systemic racism and how America must be radically changed in order to achieve racial justice. By Larry Miller's own admission, he tossed away 17 years of his life as a career criminal. He then changed course and became a multi-millionaire, high-level sports executive. Miller's story proves this is the land of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and 28th chances, regardless of skin color. Miller's story proves that corporate media is in bed with major corporations and will withhold the truth at the behest of its corporate overlords. Miller's story proves corporate media and major corporations are the proponents of unequal justice. Miller's actual crimes are rationalized away. Meanwhile, football coach John Gruden's email thought crimes are exaggerated and used to frame him as evil and unworthy of leadership. That's unequal justice. Miller told Sports Illustrated that he's been blown away by how positive the response has been to his murder confession. The real story here is the power of Nike and Phil Knight. Knight is the most powerful man in American popular culture. He controls the sports world and therefore oversees the most potent content in popular culture. Knight and Nike erased memories of Kobe Bryant's rape allegation and public use of a homophobic slur, turning Mamba into a deity no one can question. Transitioning Miller from gangbanger to shoe salesman, that was easy. The media will not dare ask why or how. That would be racist. That would go against the occult and belief in the miracles Knight regularly produces. Water into wine? Not bad. Try murderer into mogul. Larry Miller has played an influential role in Nike history and is a beloved member of the Nike family. That's a quote from Nike CEO John Donahoe. That's a statement he gave to Sports Illustrated. He finished it by saying, his story is an example of the resilience, perseverance, and strength of the human spirit. I hope his experience can create a healthy discourse around criminal justice reform by helping remove the stigma that holds people and communities back. Yeah, <laughs> it's the stigma that held Edward White back. It wasn't a bullet, it was a stigma. Three decades ago, Nike removed or ignored the stigma around Larry Miller's name and used him to strengthen Nike's stranglehold on drug dealers, the hip hop crowd, and prison culture.
The gym shoe wars played out across America's urban streets. 30 years ago, Miller knew far more about the streets than gym shoes. He was a valuable resource in need of an image makeover. No one does image makeovers better than Phil Knight and Nike. Knight's $50 billion a year Nike empire dwarfs the NFL and the NBA's financial impact, global reach, and ability to shift culture. Knight is the 21st century's Walt Disney. The shoemaker is America's puppet master and primary cultural gatekeeper. Through his management of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, and influence over the NBA and NFL, Knight has made the American sports world bend to the will of the market that matters the most to Nike, China. 30 years ago, Sports Illustrated would be covering that story rather than the repackaging of Larry Miller as a social justice warrior with a dirty little secret. Now that was a fire, but this fire got more intense on Wednesday. Jalen Rose had some words to say about me on his IG Live. And so of course, <laughs> I took an hour and responded. I don't think we're gonna give you the entire hour, but uh, you know, I set the record straight about Jalen Rose and manhood and the emasculated sports personalities network, even touched on Charles Barkley's comments about Kyrie Irving. I, I said a mouthful on Wednesday. I hope you enjoy this excerpt. Keep playing with my name if you want to. You know who I'm talking to. And I don't bark, I don't pump fake. Keep playing with my name. And try to use my name to launch every new show you, you do because you've been a part of so many failing shows. So that's Jalen Rose talking about me. And, and this is my problem, and I, I want to speak directly to Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose, say whatever you want to say with your chest out like a real man. Don't dance around. You're talking about me. You know my name. You've known my name since you was 19 years old. Say it. This is what I'm talking about, this feminine energy that's just running wild with men. You can't even say my name. Stick your chest out and say my name. And I'm not saying this as two kids on a playground talking about fighting. I'm 54 years old. I'm fat. I don't want to fight nobody. Them days are long gone for me. I'm a grown man. You purport to be a grown man. We should be able to agree, disagree, criti be critical of each other without, uh, what was, I thought I wrote it down. You get jammed up, don't say my name. This, uh, don't play with my name. Jay. Handle it however you want. I, I get you're from Detroit. I get you got a do-rag on with an afro, pretending to be hood. And see, what I'm talking about is a level of authenticity among men. What Delano and I were talking about yesterday is anytime there's an absence of truth, there's an absence of God. Anytime there's an absence of truth, you're talking about satanic energy. And so Jalen, when you start to, I don't even know where he's at. If you don't know where I'm at, how do you know what I said? Authenticity. You're not the little kid 
from the hood in Detroit anymore. Take the do-rag off. Take all the tough guy talk off the table. I respect TNT uh, for having that conversation and allowing Kenny Smith to say what he said. Um, I, 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 I respect what Shaq said and, and I appreciate uh, what Charles said. They, they had somewhat of a full discussion about it. But to sit here and to allege that what Kyrie's doing is not shades of what Ali did. Now, I don't expect Kyrie to sit out three years. I don't expect him to sit out three months. But he has forced us to have a conversation. If without Kyrie, if everybody just hopped on board with the obedience, like everybody's doing, and who has no understanding of America and liberty and what tyranny looks like, everybody that's collecting mammoth paychecks from television networks in bed with the NBA and the NBA's in bed with Nike and Nike's in bed with China. And everybody's in bed together, all basically saying the same thing. Get the vaccine. And everybody keeps coming up with different reasons. Now it ain't about your own personal safety. You get the vaccine for everybody else. I've been crystal clear on this. The vaccine is for 50-year-old fat people like me and Charles Barkley. If a 29-year-old man in the prime of his life and in prime health who looks at the data, who looks at everything that says COVID, there's just no way it's going to harm Kyrie Irving based on the, the stats and the data. He's not Cedric Sabalos. I know Cedric Sabalos. I'm not close to him like Chuck, but Cedric got to be damn near 50. He's out of shape. And, and yes, he got COVID. We, we went through it with Uncle Jimmy. But that don't mean that Corey, at 32 years old and 170 pounds, should get the, the, the vaccine. There's just no proof it's going to harm Corey. Corey has no kids. Him and his, if the, and again, this is where I really hats off to Kenny for, you know, saying like, there's reasons for people to be vaccine hesitant. And concern like, hey, reproductive issues and all that. And again, I know they say it's very safe, but these vaccines go through years of trials normally. And if some young people are like, hey, man, my own immune system, the way I take care of myself, the way I concern myself with everything I put into my body, I don't want to take the vaccine. And, and for Chuck, and man, I love Chuck. I just want to be clear. I, I, I love Chuck. But Chuck to be sitting on TV talking about, I wish they could take 17 more million dollars away from Kyrie. Cut it out, man. Because this man don't believe what you believe. Now, you want him, because you took the vaccine, now he's got to take it to protect you. Cut it out. We just went through a whole NBA season, a whole NFL season last year. Everybody, we got full stadiums. Football, everybody. And don't nobody know who's vaccinated, who's not. None of this makes sense. And so Kyrie Irving stands up as a real man and takes a stance and forces a conversation. All we heard about from about Colin Kaepernick uh, when this first kicked off with him in 2016, well, you may not like it, but at least he started a conversation. Well, now Kyrie started one, provoked one, demanded that we have a debate about something they're trying to mandate for everybody in America. This is important. This is what men do. 
And again, I expect Kyrie to fold. There's too much money. There's too much pressure. I expect, but I'm still going to stand by the fact I like and respect what the man is doing. He's showing a pair. And he's being a voice for the voiceless. There are people out here that don't want to take the vaccine and no one's willing to really stand up for him other than Kyrie, as far as I can see. Without Kyrie, the NBA, and again, this whole little obedience thing, the establishment, the government tells you is in total control of your actions and protecting that paycheck from TNT is in total control of your actions. Don't, I don't, and again, this is why I go back to authenticity and truth being under attack. I don't really believe anybody on that panel, including Ernie Johnson, I don't believe any of them believe the vaccine should be mandated. They may believe in the vaccine, but do they believe it should be forced on everyone? And so I want to play this old clip. Many people have seen it, but I just want to play it just to refresh your memory. And this is what I'm talking about, because this all fits together in terms of these celebrities and influencers that that know exactly what everybody should do. We're talking about a vaccine. We're talking about medical treatments. And I have basketball players that know exactly what Kyrie Irving should do, what Corey Smith should do, what people in Maine and people in uh, California and people in New Mexico, a basketball player knows exactly what they should all do. A basketball player. We're not talking about Dr. Fauci. A basketball player. And Chuck, I love you, but you're a basketball player. And you're demanding are pressuring uh, people to get a vaccine. You're a basketball player. Recommend gym shoes, jock straps, not vaccines, unqualified. But Malcolm X told us about celebrities a long time ago. Play the clip. I just told you a little while ago, these leaders that they call leaders, this included Lena Horne, this included Dick Gregory, and this included comedians, comics, trumpet players, baseball players. Show me in the white community where a comedian is a white leader. Show me in the white community where a singer is a white leader, or a dancer or a trumpet player is a white leader. These aren't leaders. These are puppets and clowns that uh, have been set up over the white community and uh, over the black community by the white community and have been made celebrities. Man said it 60 years ago, 70 years ago. Nothing's changed, except now it's all on steroids because it's all on social media and everybody's an influencer. And, and every TV show now has some former athlete, some movie star, some whatever. They're all experts on medicine now. And they're all properly using their platforms to make sure everybody does exactly what the government tells them to do. And, and here's why we know it's inauthentic. Steve Kim said it yesterday, I believe. Yeah, it was yesterday that if this vaccine had came out 12 months ago under a different administration, all these same people that are on TV, you got to get the vaccine, would be saying the exact opposite. That's how I know it's not truthful. It's not authentic. And this is why I keep going. If it's not truthful and authentic, it's an assault on God. It's satanic. It's devilish. When you, they're eliminating the truth. And the only way to restore it is for men to stand up and stand on the word of God. And I know y'all get tired of hearing me say that. I, I know I've, I've been very clear about who I am, who I was. 
my sinful nature. But this level of dishonesty that we have going on in this country, this level of inauthentic behavior and conversation, it's offensive to me. It should be offensive to you. As a man, as a woman, we're live, they're setting up a fantasy world. Someone, I just saw <laughs> what they named somebody, Rachel Levine, a man who claims to be a woman, who Biden named some kind of health, whatever, secretary. She's the first female four-star admiral. She just got named this yesterday. And, and or, or this week, and I'm like, are we even living in a real world? Are we serious people? This level of deceit, and again, Delano talked about it yesterday about if they can get you to say, oh yeah, men can get pregnant. They can get you to say and believe anything. On Thursday, Mm. Aaron Rodgers did an interview with Pat McAfee. And I think Aaron Rodgers was channeling his inner Dave Chappelle. Add NFL superstar Aaron Rodgers to the list of people inspired by Dave Chappelle's Netflix special, The Closer. On Tuesday, during his regular appearance on the Pat McAfee Show, the Packers quarterback and reigning NFL MVP went out of his way to attack the woke and cancel culture. When McAfee engaged Rodgers in a conversation about reaction to Rodgers' end zone celebration and taunting of Chicago Bears fan, the quarterback screamed, I own you, Rodgers pivoted to discussing his disdain for woke culture. Here's a clip of Rogers, you know, kind of setting up the conversation. But when I got down to my knee and I looked up, all I could see in here was obscenities. And I don't know, I just spur of the moment hit my mind. I talked about, you know, the blacking out idea. The blacking out is is just things happen that are on they're not planned. You know, I didn't plan on telling the crowd that I own them. There's always conversation between players and fans, and and most opposing fans are like the Chicago fans, that it's not the happiest and friendliest of back and forths. But I found out about it after the game, and I realized that it was, you know, probably going to be a thing. Not maybe as big a thing as it went to, you know, with, you know, some of the things that I saw. But I, that is the state of, of our media. And let me just... Uh, <laughs> And really our culture, not just media, but that's the state of our culture, I think, uh, this this woke PC culture. Mm, uh, let, let's be clear here, though. The woke did not attack Aaron Rodgers for his in-your-face celebration. In fact, people celebrated it. I think Rodgers knows this. McAfee certainly does. He eventually told Rodgers that all he saw across social media were people praising Rodgers. Rodgers was clearly looking for an avenue to express his dislike of PC culture. He told McAfee how much he enjoyed appearing on his podcast because it gives him a platform to showcase his true personality and flex his intellectual chops. Political correctness, woke culture, and cancel culture are the dominant topics in American culture at large. Rogers wants to talk about it. My suspicion is Rogers wants to show support for Dave Chappelle, the Harriet Tubman of closeted real men. Chappelle is freeing the mentally enslaved. Rogers used McAfee's show as an underground railroad to intellectual freedom. Let's hear a little bit more from Aaron Rodgers with McAfee. There's a PC woke culture that exists and there's a cancel culture at the same time. And it's based on people's own feelings of maybe personal miserability or distaste for their own situations or life or just the enjoyment of holding other people down underneath their thumb. But when you engage in this culture, 
you're immersed in it and you're, and you're in it so much and, and these uh, ridiculous sentiment, uh, sentiments and storylines and narratives get to drawn out about me about uh, pick a topic you know from uh, you know my family to uh, my leadership style to you know um you know, and they just go on and on, and people start thinking, well, he hasn't responded to it, so it must be true, right? Uh, and then and they run with these stories, right? And then I, when I respond to it and set the record straight, when I finally said, okay, enough is enough. This thing has gotten so far, and it's so ridiculous at this point, that I'm being sensitive. You, you see what Rogers did there? He personalized his opinion and pointed out that he believes the sports media have leaned into false narratives about his personal life, his motives, and his leadership style. He insinuated the sports media have tried to cancel him and or diminish him with false narratives. It's what Rodgers did is clearly a bit of a stretch if you can't acknowledge Rodgers' true agenda. He was looking for an excuse to dump on cancel culture. Let's, let's think this through. McAfee is friends with Rogers. What have friends, particularly guy friends with any type of sense of humor or whatever, and Pat McAfee, very irreverent, what have they been discussing over the past couple of two or three weeks? I suspect, like a lot of friends, McAfee and Rogers have discussed the controversy surrounding Chappelle's last comedy special. Netflix employees staged a walkout on Wednesday. They want the streaming service to pull Chappelle's show. They believe the closer is hostile towards transgender people. They want Dave Chappelle canceled. This is my suspicion. Rogers wanted to support Chappelle or Chappelle's point of view without putting himself and the Packers organization in the crosshairs of the BLM, LGBTQ, CRT, Alphabet Mafia. Aaron Rodgers is smart. He found a way to express his opinion without inviting unnecessary and distracting controversy. Take a listen. Here's another clip from Rodgers, and he talks a little bit about comedy. Take a listen. A game within the game, right? And in this game, there's a player and there's a game. And if the player abides by the rules of the game, he's a part of the game. Now, the rules of the game are that you must acquiesce with the woke mob at all times. You must. However, when you live above the game, the game does not exist. And Pat, that's where I'm at. These things, I realize them, I see them, but I'm not a part of this game that's being played. This game is being played out by these, these individuals and I see it, I hear it. But to me, it's comedy. Are we getting that soft as a society that we can't have <laughs> worth now? I mean, uh, you know, somebody can somebody can pay for a ticket and say whatever the hell they want, which I think they should be able to. That's fine. But the one time you say something back to them, that gets caught on it. That gets caught on the hot mic, which, you know, like I said, there's a lot of stuff that gets said from time to time. Now it's that, you know, I've disrespected, you know, an entire city and organization <laughs> and my own organization. The key word in all of that was when he said comedy, it's comedy to him. Or is it a comedy special, The Closer? Rogers is playing the game and the game within the game at the highest level. He went on to say, back when I first got in the league and when I grew up watching it, I feel like trash talk was a little more normalized. You didn't have to apologize if you said something that offended a few people in a city. You didn't have to apologize if you offended people. What Dave Chappelle, what's he complaining about? Having to apologize for cracking jokes that offend people. I'm telling you, Aaron Rodgers is channeling his inner Dave Chappelle. Aaron Rodgers is moving way up on my list of favorite NFL players and quarterbacks. I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. I've been heartbroken. I've been devastated by Patrick Mahomes swallowing and promoting the entire woke agenda. The entire woke agenda. I've been disappointed that Tom Brady hasn't spoken up on behalf of people reluctant to take the COVID vaccine. I think Brady really believes in the COVID vaccine, but he hadn't said a word. Most of these professional athletes live in fear of the social media mobs. Rogers? 
and Lamar unvaccinated Jackson, my two favorite quarterbacks and NFL players right now. Hope they face each other in the Super Bowl. If it happens, I'm not sure who I'd root for. Rodgers' interview with McAfee is absolutely amazing. I'm gonna play you one more clip. <laughs> and this really hit home with me. Take a listen to this. But I'm not a victim either. I'm not a victim. I don't look at myself as a victim or I don't want people to feel bad for me because of uh, the spotlight that I'm in and the platform that I have and the, and the scrutiny that comes with it. I accept all of it. I really do. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I just think that it is, for me, it helps me to uh, keep sane when I can recognize and point out that there is this culture that exists that gets off, I think, on... Uh, shrinking people, keeping them small, keeping them in a box, uh, quieting them through uh, cancelization or demeaning comments. And that I also exist outside of that in a different realm where um, I do feel confident in things I say and I do stand behind what I do. And I like to speak the truth and I'm not a part of this, uh, you know, uh, woke uh, cancel culture that gets off on uh, trying to silence people all the time. Mm. All of that music to my ears. And I know that Aaron Rodgers in the past has played woke. He, he played the little BLM game like everybody else did because it, you'd get run out of the, the NFL or you'd be accused of being uh, racist if you're a white quarterback in the NFL and you didn't play woke and you didn't pretend like the whole Black Lives Matter thing is the most important thing in the world and that the, that the police are out here just trying to kill random black men, particularly if they're high on fentanyl. Aaron Rodgers just manned up. And we can thank Dave Chappelle for Aaron Rodgers manning up. Now, you see that Aaron Rodgers mono? That's why you got to join the Fearless Army. That's why you got to listen to me. Who else would have saw that, that Aaron Rodgers was potentially channeling Dave Chappelle? And then we end the show on Friday with one of our soldiers, Shamika Michelle, Shamoke Show. Early in the week on Monday or Tuesday, Shamika shook me up, shook me to my core. <laughs> we start talking about Larry Miller and him confessing to murder. And Shamika tells the story about how she almost at age 18 was involved in a homicide. That made me want to go more in depth. And we have to find out a more in-depth story about the life and times of Shamika Michelle. Take a listen to this. Growing up in high school, right before or before you go off to college at North Carolina A&T, who were your friends? What were your activities? What, what, you know, one of the things I thought listening to you on Monday, I was like, man, Shamika had some shady friends. <laughs> uh, is, is that accurate? No, my close friends, they weren't shady, but I had some people that I did deal with that were a little shady. I was dating a guy my senior year of school who was arrested for attempted murder. I do believe that it came back as self-defense, but he wasn't allowed to go with me to the prom because we had to get our prom dates approved if they didn't go to the school and he had already uh, graduated and he didn't pass that because he had this issue going on as far as being you know arrested for attempted murder um, but my close friends they were really good you know we we graduated most of all of us, there were like seven of us that hung really tight together in the top of our class, went off, went on to college. I graduated who's who among American high school students. I graduated a North Carolina scholar. Uh, so it, by all, you know, by a lot of people's definitions, we were really good kids, really good girls. So we didn't have any issues. Nobody would say, oh, they were gangsters or they were shady. You know, we we got in fights, some of us like a lot of people, but we weren't like, uh, we weren't menaces to society. No, no one would say that. But I did have that one guy that I was dating my senior year who to me wasn't even raised that way either. But when you just kind of 
I guess, listening to certain music or just feeling like this is the cool thing to do. You do it even though that's not really who you are. And so I feel like even just hanging around that, you know, I saw the good in him, but I can see how other people did not. So for me and my background is I did I don't feel like I knew and I'm a little bit older than you uh, by nearly a decade. I, I didn't know any girls that carried guns at 18 and and particularly not on college campuses. And maybe there were some pistol packing girls and I was just oblivious to it uh, at Ball State. And 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 but that that I'm just for other people. How does Shamika, honor roll student, uh, who's who? Because the one thing that I think I'm also picking up is, sounds like your grandmother was very smart. To be an LPN at her age, back in those times in the South, she sounds like she probably had to be exceptional. And it sounds like your mother was headed down that track, sent off to private school it sounds like to really try to excel and so I see where the intelligence is coming from you you were you inherited that or that that's part of your lineage uh, but I, I don't <laughs> tell me the city y'all were growing up in or the town and it just it sounds like it was a pretty rough and tumble place if if how are you packing a pistol at age 18. Okay, so I was raised in Durham, North Carolina. And when I went away to school, my friend was dating a guy who I said was from Fayetteville, North Carolina, but he was a football player. And I don't know how he got the gun, but he gave it to us and she was scared to carry it. I wasn't scared, so I started to carry his gun, but it, it was a nine millimeter. And to me, that was big. And so I liked carrying a gun, but it just didn't fit in my purse. Well, I don't even know why I liked carrying. Why did carrying you like gun. carrying a gun? Why did you know. like carrying a gun? Because Dr. Dre said, who's the man with a master plan? A nigga with a gun. I don't, you know, I don't know. That was during the days of the chronic and listening to ghetto boys. Like I, you know, you had um, the song out, you know, I want a gangster bitch. So just doing what seemed popular or just seemed like the fun thing to do at the time, I think that's kind of why I'm like, oh, okay, you want a gangster bitch? That's me. Um, and so we would carry his gun. Let, let me stop just, you for a moment. Oh. Let, let me stop you for a moment because I want you to address this point that I think I'm hearing from you quite clearly, and it's something I've always believed. We keep running around with this myth that this gangster rap music doesn't influence young people. And you seem to be clearly stating, oh yes it does, which I totally agree with and believe, and it's why your transparency and your honesty hit home with me so much and why I think it's important is because we keep living in this fantasy world of lies and all oh, this music is just like the movie The Godfather and it's blah 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 and I'm like no nah, man it's not just like that this music has significant influence and particularly on kids who don't have the stereotypical two-parent family structure where you have two parents instilling their wisdom, logic, and values in a kid. And, and a, you again, you're about eight, nine, 10 years younger than me, but, but when kids your age grew up with headphones and uh, things like, where you could plug into Dr. Dre's world completely, and whoever, the NWA and whatever, and it does have a real influence. And so I just, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but your thoughts. 
Yeah, I do think what you listen to has has an influence on you. And I'm actually grateful that I grew up during the time that I did, because just as I had Dr. Dre in those years, thankfully, in the 80s, I had a di- you know different music. So I feel sorry for the kids who, who have nothing else. And all they have is some of what's out now on the radio. And they're never... Um, They never get to experience anything else or hear anything else because I do believe that faith cometh by hearing. So if you constantly hear a certain thing, you do begin to believe that. It's just like if if a woman tells her son constantly, you ain't going to be nothing just like your, your daddy he's going to start to believe that. So I do believe when you're constantly hearing something and you're inundated with a certain thing all the time, it does have an effect on you. So we've already heard the story and we replayed it about what happened to you at, at North Carolina A&T. We talked about it on Monday a bit more in depth. And, you know, today we played a highlight from it, but uh, I, I'm just going to go over it because I, I really don't want to spend a lot of time dwelling and repeating that. I want to know how you transitioned and where you're at now, but I'm just going to re- restate for people that didn't see what was said earlier. Shamika got into a fight with another young woman at North Carolina, North Carolina A&T. Uh, they all ran off and then y'all saw each other later in the day or later in the afternoon or evening? So what happened was I got into the fight. At the time, I was wearing a a leg brace because I had um, sprained a ligament in my knee. And so when we were fighting, I did step away from her and I pulled my gun out uh, pretty much as to say, if you're not going to make the decision on your own to get away from me, let me help you. And so nothing happened. She she ran off. We got in our cars. We left and I left campus and I went over to the guy's house and I was sitting there. We were sitting there watching TV. It was me and the other female was another as one of my friends and they came knocking on the door. And so it was about, I don't know, seven or eight girls, somewhere between six and eight girls. And they then wanted to threaten me and they wanted to let me know. And I was saying how she was holding her hands inside her coat at the time. And she was telling me that when she pulled out her gun, she was going to use it because you shouldn't pull out a gun if you're not going to use it. So at this point, I'm thinking, gosh, I'm going to have to shoot her before she shoots me. And it, it was a situation where they to me then came looking for trouble and then wanted to threaten my life because the first incident was over. We had already left campus. You know, I didn't try to threaten her with the gun at the time, or I didn't say, hey, when I see you again, I'm going to get you. None of that. Um, But then she went and got some of her family that lived in the city. And I guess her family may have gotten other people. I don't know. But uh, seven or eight girls showed up where I was knocking on the door. And she was saying, you know, when I pull out my gun, I'm going to use it. So I really thought she had a gun. And I felt like when she went to pull her hands out, I was going to shoot her. You know, that, you know, People listen to it and feel like uh, I should have made a different decision. I think my decision would have been made prior to that time in who I was dealing with to start with. Um, But as far as at that moment, I, you know, I don't know if they expected me to break out into a kumbaya. I don't know. But I thought my life was in danger. And for me, um, I was going to shoot her before she shot me because she said, when I pull out my gun, I'm going to use it. So I thought she had a gun and uh, I, I don't think she she did um, unless she just didn't have it in her hands when she pulled them out of her coat. But I shot at her and when she the other girls ran, but when she dropped down, then I held the gun to her head and it just everything happened so fast. And um, 
I pulled the trigger again and the gun jammed. And when she realized that, I think when we both realized I didn't shoot her, she got up and ran and I went inside and, and closed the door. All right, that's it and that's all for us. You gotta go out and recruit new members to the Fearless Army. We're gonna take this country back. We're gonna make men stand up. We're gonna make women stand up. We're gonna make this country a better place. Join the Fearless Army. Hit that like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a five-star rating. Join the Fearless Army. We need soldiers.